Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners, uh, Sarah, who come from around the world and have been listening to these podcast shows now for over 10 years um, with over 625 podcasts out there on personal growth, wellness, mastery, and spirituality. And today, joining me, you're joining me from New York, you said, right? Is that correct, yes, Sarah? that is correct. All right. Sarah Rob O'Hagan is hopefully I pronounced your last name correct. Yes. And um, she has a new book out called Extreme You Step Up, Stand Out, Kick Ass, Repeat. Um, And I think the repeat part, which is in the black part of the book, is probably Sarah's best attribute and story that we're going to be telling here uh, is really the repeat part. Let me tell you just a bit about Sarah. She's the CEO of a company called Flywheel we were just talking about who uh, and who's held previous leadership positions at Equinox, Gatorade, Nike, Virgin. She's been described as the superwoman undercover, the pie piper of potential, a high energy combination of disruptive business leader, fitness fanatic, and cheerleading mom. She's been named among Fast Company's most creative people in business. Uh, this is a Harper Business book, and it was recently published on April 4th. So go get yourself a copy at Amazon, any of your best booksellers that are out there as well. And high accolades from this book from some of the best people around. So, you know, Sarah, I, you know, a lot of people write books about personal growth, and you probably couldn't have written, written a better one. And it's really a, a lot about your personal journey, the stories of other people um, who you met along the way and spoke to and gave you guidance. I almost look at it as like the hero's journey. Um, you know, Sarah, you say in the introduction of the book that the book is not about being a reckless loudmouth. It's not about being persistent to the point of harassment. And it's definitely not about my way or the highway. How do you define becoming or how you became the extreme you? Yeah, so um, basically the the reason I wrote the book in the first place is because I realized, I don't know, five or six years ago that wherever I went, whether it was you know speaking engagements or in the media, people would describe me exactly as you just did with these wonderful, very kind accolades. And I would sit there going, gosh, I am feeling a bit embarrassed here because no one's telling the true story that Sarah got fired a couple of times and Sarah made a ton of mistakes along the way. And I just felt it was really important to start telling a more truthful story about what it takes to be successful or as I call it, extreme you, which is having written this book and really researched the topic, I came to the conclusion that the most successful people are actually not those who are focused on trying to be successful so much as developing every aspect of their unique selves and effectively maximizing every ounce of their own potential. And that is what I call being an extremer. Yeah. And there couldn't be anybody who's done that more than you. You know, when you look at your past history with um, Air New Zealand, Virgin Air, Nike, and kind of moving your way through this whole corporate maze. And you mentioned that we need to rely less on predicting our extreme path and more on trying out new experiences and observing the results. 
What would you tell the listeners who are out there now who might be gripped with fear about making those changes in their life? God only knows uh, you were gripped with fear quite a few times mm-hmm. uh, during this process, but it isn't an easy thing, Sarah. And it, as you know, this book is really at its essence and core about giving people not only that courage, but igniting that within them to be able to go do that. That's absolutely right. And yeah, one of the things I learned along the way doing the research for the book is that actually every generation since the boomers through Generation X to the millennials have become more risk averse, more gripped with fear and specifically more scared of failure. And it really started to bother me because I know from my own experience and certainly from interviewing these extraordinarily successful people that I did for the book. I had, you know, everyone from Condoleezza Rice to Bodie Miller, the downhill skier, to Ali Webb, who founded the Dry Bar, like all these very successful people. And what I learned along the way is that none of them knew at the beginning of their life what they were going to become. None of them did it without failing along the way. And it's just all about reframing in your mind what it is that you're scared of. Because what I came to learn is that being fearful and therefore not trying and taking risks is actually more scary than not doing anything at all. Because if you end up kind of in the middle of the road and the world takes you over, then you can end up actually losing a job or, you know, not living up to your full potential. And so really it was a whole story about how do you reframe that fear so that you actually recognize even if you do fail, it will do more for you in terms of your own personal growth than if you didn't try at all. So, so important. And um, I'm one of those people who's learned by lots of failures. And <laughs> and I have a quote that I always put at the bottom of my email. I don't know if you've ever gotten one from me. Probably not. But failure is the opportunity to begin all over again, but more intelligently. That's Henry yeah. Ford. And I leave that there. Awesome. Everywhere. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Henry Ford had plenty of failures, let's face it. And so have many other business people. And, <clears throat> you know, you speak about being as a kid on team B while you're in the hockey team. This is a field hockey and your determination to make what you called the first nine. Um, Tell the listeners about this experience because in the book you write about this very eloquently about your time and how you, you know, you had to run so much and about igniting what you call your magic drive, what it takes to ignite that magic drive. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I had the experience in my childhood and I would imagine not unlike a lot of your listeners that I was incredibly average as a child and I struggled to get good grades. Like I was a solid B student. I always tried out for the play or the choir or the solos or the field hockey team and never quite made it, you know, like I made the B team, but not the A team. And so I realized that as much as I kind of look back in my childhood and it's just littered with failures and quite emotional um, experiences of feeling like I had failed, those moments for sure are what fueled me to go on and eventually have even more drive than I think some of my peers around me, because you know, for people for whom success comes easily to them, 
you know, you're not necessarily developing that reservoir of resilience to keep going. Whereas for those who don't have easy success, you kind of have that feeling of, I want some of that, you know, I want to eventually have my personal win. And so I think it just gave me this desire to keep driving forward. And what I learned for myself personally, but also from some of the people I interviewed in the book is that if you put yourself out there and take a risk and really own the consequence of, consequences of it, you will trigger an internal drive in yourself so much greater than if you kind of take shortcuts or, you know, let other people provide safety nets under you. Because if you've put it all out there, if you've told your friends and family, this is my dream, this is this big risk I'm going to take and I'm going to make it happen – you'll fight to succeed in a way that you won't if you haven't really put it out there for yourself. So that in itself is what becomes this engine of drive that I definitely saw drove a lot of these people forward to great, great levels of success. Well, and you see that commonality amongst many of the successful people. And I, and I think the successful people have another uh, common trait too, Sarah, and that is that it isn't the goal line that they're on, it's the learning line. And I think through all of these experiences that you talk about in the book, that that you might have thought you were on the goal line, but when you really realized you were on the learning line, yeah. it became so much easier for you to accept what was going on. And you speak about this in your book, about the six years with Air, Air New Zealand and the fact that you wanted to leave the airline and you state that every extremer faces the challenge to match their talents and their skills with their ambitions. Can you speak about your internal journey to make the shift to work in for Virgin and I'm going to say shellactic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Virgin, I, I was in the airlines. Um, Air New Zealand is actually the national airline of New Zealand, which is where my country, where I come from. And, you know, I initially got the job there partly because I just wanted to pick a company that would fly me out of the country. You know, I wanted to explore the world and that was my career strategy. But I had been there for uh, six years and I, they had relocated me to Los Angeles, to the United States, which was amazing. And I really wanted to sort of go to the next level. And at the time, Virgin Atlantic Airways, which was uh, Richard Branson's um, airline, was definitely kind of where all of the excitement and action was at. And I thought as a young marketer, that would be a great place for me to work. And basically, I just went on this mission to, you know, personally figure out how to create an opportunity for myself there. So, I sort of – in those days, we didn't actually have Google, but I figured out how to research who the key players were at the airline and eventually network and navigate towards meeting um, the chief marketing officer who, through a very long storyline, eventually hired me. And I think the lesson in all of it was it's all about proactivity. I think, you know, the people who – end up being extremists, as I call them, and therefore be, being highly successful people are not sort of waiting to be asked for an opportunity or, you know, waiting for a job to emerge on a job board. They're actually out there proactively figuring out how to create that opportunity for themselves. Yeah, and it does take uh, strengthening uh, some ex 
some skills to do that. I mean, you talked about when you went to Nike, being shy and not fitting in with the crowd and then going out and having a drink with everybody and feeling like you wanted to go to your room. And I think there's a lot of people that are that way. And, you know, you talked about this extreme strengths becoming your extreme liabilities while you were at Virgin. What happened in your estimation when you made what you thought was this perfect match? Because you talk about a perfect match. In your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. Well, it wasn't so perfect, was it? (laughs) Yeah, so I went from the – I had a lot of success, actually, at the airline, and it led to me getting asked to join Virgin Megastores, which was their – music retail business. So this is back in the day when we actually bought music on little CDs <laughs> from a retail store, it seems so long ago. Um, and I just thought this was the perfect opportunity for me because I had wanted to get out of airlines and move into you know, sports and entertainment and that kind of area. And I just thought this is going to be everything that ever could could work, you know, and I get there and uh, not only the company, but the industry was going into an enormous period of turmoil and distress because this was when Napster had first come along, you know, free downloaded music. And here I am with having had great success in the airline industry and just like blindly soldiering on doing what has worked for me instead of recognizing that I was in such a different business that was in distress that needed a very different level of attention. And I just had a level of arrogance and, frankly, lack of self-awareness that led to me being very ineffective and eventually um, getting fired, (laughs) not just laid off with a bunch of people, but individually singled out and fired because I really was not an effective employee. And What I learned from the experience, you know, I had gone from having these towering strengths that I was just overplaying instead of recognizing that you've got to use those strengths to their best, but you also have to be deeply aware of your areas of weakness and vulnerability so that you can ask for help and surround yourself with other people that can support you. Otherwise, you just won't be as effective. Yeah, it's so true what you say. And I I think that that role for you that you took, as you said, it wasn't the perfect match. And you do eat a little bit of humble pie sometimes. Um, And, you know, I want you to speak with our listeners because you did some research with uh, three major researchers on the ambiguity of responsibility and what you refer to as pain training. Can you speak with them about that ambiguity of responsibility and the pain training? Yeah, so the pain training was basically this notion that, um, you know, what I learned the more I was researching and talking to people was that actually the the pain that you go through when you have a failure, when you have a disappointment, when things don't work out the way you want to, as painful as it is, it's actually training you to develop more confidence, calm, and resilience that will, you will use going forward. And it's funny, like I use the uh, metaphor of physical fitness. Like if you think about going to the gym, if you do the same thing every day, you very quickly plateau. But if you do a workout that pushes a different set of muscles into pain, that is where the growth in those muscles comes from, you know, and it's a really neat metaphor for how we need to think about our careers. And so 
I talked about this idea of you you have to take responsibility the for your failures. Like if you are that person who, you know, in my case I got fired and I just go, oh well, it was the company's fault or management's fault or the industry's fault, that is not holding on to the responsibility of my role and what just happened. And if that that effectively is the ambiguity of responsibility, if you don't hold on to it yourself, you don't take the learnings and frankly the growth that comes with it. So it's really important to make sure you really take ownership for it. Well, and I think the first thing that everybody needs to learn is that we're 100% responsible for our own actions. Don't go looking outside yourself for someone to blame because something happened to you. Uh, the reality is, is that you're the one that's responsible, uh, live up to that and work through it. And that's the most important thing. Now you state that failure hurts like hell, but the worst thing is not the pain. It's the fear. How do you recommend to the people that are listeners that are out there that are dealing with this gripping fear, just tremendous fear about just making any kind of change in their life? I just think it you have to reframe that fear and recognize that if you if if you don't do don't take the risk and don't move forward, you actually end up having more likelihood of getting into future trouble than if you do and you take the risk even if it fails, but you learn from it. So what I mean by that is, you know, in my own case, I got fired from Virgin because I wasn't taking the risk to be vulnerable, to ask for help where I didn't know what I was doing and to frankly learn and grow. And therefore, ultimately, by not taking that risk, I ended up getting fired, like I had that done to me. Whereas years later, a year ago just from now, I actually ended up leaving my company, quitting with absolutely no job to go to because in my mind, I was absolutely terrified. Like, you know, here I am, um, almost 45-year-old mother of three. I've got kids to put through college. What am I quitting my job with nothing to go to for? But I knew I had stopped growing and I was like, I'd rather put myself into that place of discomfort and grow and move forward and be in control of the situation than have it done to me. And I think that's really the lesson is if you don't take the risk, ultimately in the end, you might end up in more trouble than if you actually just went for it. Well, and and you're absolutely right. I think being proactive is a key there. You know, don't wait for someone else. Do make your, take your intuition and listen to that small voice inside that's speaking to you and take the ax on it. I just wrote a book myself that's about ready to release called Hacking the Gap, a journey from intuition to innovation and beyond. And the reality is, is that everybody's got this. It's the question is whether or not they listen to it and make adjustments in their life accordingly. You know, it's that, that wisdom from within inside that's speaking to you or wherever you think it's coming from. Now, you learned a really important lesson along the way from Angela A. Hertz, the former CEO of Burberry, who yep. took one of the highest ranking positions at Apple. And I think that's pretty poignant in the book when she gives you this advice. 
tell our listeners this vice and how it kind of humbles you a bit. Yeah, she is extraordinary. She is, I think, if I recall, Forbes' 14th most powerful woman in the world. I mean, this woman is absolutely beyond successful, beyond any of my imagination, that's for sure. And yet what I found extraordinary about her is not only her willingness to take risks, as we were just talking about, like she was the CEO of Burberry um, running an extraordinarily successful business when she made this big decision to quit and join Apple. And what I loved that she said to me is that the further up in the organization you go, you um, tend to feel that you have to have all the answers because you're the boss. But actually, you're getting further and further away from the true expertise where decisions need to be made. And therefore, you have to have humbleness, humility to be able to make sure that you're not making mistakes by thinking you have the answers and having the willingness to listen and learn from those around you. So true. I think many CEOs, as we're we're experiencing here, uh, the United Airlines ones that just recently happened here, is a pretty good example of um, some. Uh, initially, his comments were were not taken very well, and stock that dropped just a tremendous amount. And I'm I would assume United will respond from that, but that's a pretty good example of what we're talking about here. Yeah, now, no. you t- go ahead. You have no, a comment no, on that? Ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. No, so, so you tell this great story about Allie Webb, who developed this blockbuster business in your chapter on play with your specialist game. Can you tell her story, because it was so unique to our listeners, and why it exemplifies what you refer to as this extreme you, what the whole book is about? Yeah, so... Um, Basically, I had this chapter called Playing Your Specialist Game, and I had this epiphany by talking to these successful individuals and also looking at highly successful brands and businesses that have sustained success for decades, not just years. And what they all have in common is this unique ability to focus right in on something that they are very, very specialist at and tune out the distractions um, otherwise. And actually, speaking about the airline industry is an easy way to frame it. You know, United, American, the big airlines tend to focus on their target consumer as human beings with legs and arms. You know, like, if you are human, we will sell to you. Whereas Virgin had a very distinct specialist positioning, saying we want to position ourselves for those in the entertainment, fashion, technology industries. You know, we, we have a very different positioning and consumer that we're going after. And Allie Webb did exactly the same thing. She basically created the business called The Dry Bar, which is um, a blowout, hair blowout business for women. And when she started it, nothing like this existed. And going to the hairdresser meant, you know, getting anything done to your hair. And she said, nope, I don't want to do everything. I just want to do blowouts. I don't want to color hair. I don't want to cut hair. I just want to do blowouts, which most people would assume would be so narrow. How would you build a business around it? But she had a specialty that she was like, I'm going to be the best at doing this. And by the way, I'm going to create an entirely new category. I mean, women didn't used to go 
a couple a couple times a week and spend $65 a pop getting their hair blown out. And now they do because she's created this space with her specialist um, skill of blow-drying hair combined with her upbringing of um, being raised by entrepreneurs who really taught her about how to build a business with great hospitality. So she put all these things together to create this really neat specialist position and has grown this giant business out of it. And it's just a great, great uh, metaphor for what we can do actually as individuals is understanding our own specialties and really being the best at them. Yeah, I think at the time you wrote the book, she had grown this into a $70 million a year business or something like that. Yep. And it's pretty amazing when you think here was this person with uh, almost nothing. Uh, and we hear these rags to riches stories, but the reality is it does take a special extreme you, a determination, a focus, a dedication to something to make that happen. And I think it's just this internal drive and, and, um, I don't want to call it it's a special something that has to be uh, expressed. Um, and these people do it so well. So like in February of last year, you left Equinox and you threw yourself full time into the dedication of speaking and getting the word out about Extreme U. You're now with Flywheel. So another change for you. Um, this is just another example of what your extreme nature is, as I see it throughout the book. What advice do you have for the listeners sitting on the edge right now wanting to make, um, as I said before, a change? Maybe it's a change in a job. It could be a, a change in their marriage. It could be a change, any kind of change they're trying to make. Because once people reach that point, uh, that big chasm in life, to actually take that uh, risk, it requires uh, one of the first things I say is that you have to have huge self-worth. Um, if you're not feeling worthy, um, one of the biggest challenges is not having enough self-worth to do that. You'll put yourself down. The ego will talk to you. It'll tell you that you're no good, that you can't do it. What'd you do to rise above all that? Well, I was very lucky uh, to meet, you know, 10 years ago in my career, um, a guy, his name's Dr. Anthony Salimi, who was my professional coach actually at work, you know, to helping me develop as a leader. And he gave me the greatest single piece of advice I think anyone has ever given me. And that was when it comes to making these tough decisions, when you're sitting on the edge, whether it's making a, you know, big risky business decision or a personal decision. Like in my case, when I was leaving Gatorade to take the job at Equinox, which was terrifying for so many reasons. And he said, you have to worry less about making the right decision and more about making that decision right. And if you know it's something that your gut is telling you that you should do, you just have to take the leap and then stop second guessing yourself and instead put all your energy into moving forward and making that decision work really well for, for you. And it's just a great way of framing how to move forward, really, because if you think about it that way, there's no regrets. There's no looking back. You just get on with it and make it work. It's so, so true. Repeat the exact words he said, because I want my listeners to hear that yeah. again. I think it's worth repeating. Repeat yeah. those again. He says, worry more less about, about making the right decision and more about making that decision right. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is uh, that is what you call some of the best advice that you that you could have ever gotten in your career. Making the decision right, and I think that's what your book is about: is making the decision right. Now, at your website, extremeu.com. Um, you've got, I don't know if that's you hanging upside down with your hands in the air. I wish it was. But But you also have a quiz there. Yeah, it is a great picture. I don't know what she's jumping off of or where she is, but it's a good picture. (laughs) What is this quiz all about that you're asking the uh, listeners to take? Yeah, I'm super excited. We actually created this quiz uh, with the collaboration of the Wharton People Analytics Group. And basically, Adam Grant, who leads that group, um, the great psychologist who has been incredibly supportive with me in writing the book and helping me with the research on the book. And he basically helped me develop a quiz that would test for the kind of behaviors that an extremer has. And, you know, most of those we've talked about today. And it's basically a set of 16 questions and it puts you in situations and it asks how you would react and then tells you, based on that, are you at the top of your game? Are you kicking ass or are you on the verge of kicking ass or are you half-assing it? Which means that you're not really pushing yourself to your full potential. So it's it's fun for sure, but it is definitely uh, grounded with great science and psychology behind it, which is neat. Well, I think the best part about it is it's going to give our listeners an opportunity to actually see where they are. I think people like to have a little bit of a roadmap, and when they have a roadmap, it makes those decisions easier. So I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to ExtremeU.com and take the Extremer quiz. Um, It is, as she said, put out by Wharton People Analytics. Um, And Adam Grant, who has uh, sent me several of his books, uh, we've never done an interview together, but um, oh. I've actually blogged on him. Uh, wonderful guy. Yeah. And um, so I would ex- just say everybody go out there and, and get it. Also, as well, we'll put the links to Amazon. We'll put the links to um, Sarah's uh, um, social media sites as well so that you can follow Sarah and get there. Are there any parting words that you'd have for our listeners uh, today, Sarah, regarding becoming more extreme? Yeah, ultimately, I would just say that what I learned more than anything in this process is that if you stop focusing on like objective success goals and instead focus on developing yourself, it is a much more fulfilling and high impact journey. And it's a lot of fun. So I wish your listeners a ton of luck in their lives and what they're doing and encourage them just to go for it. Well, I like what you do, Sarah, you keep it simple. And I think the key to that is simple. And so for my listeners, if you're looking for a book that's going to help guide you through going to give you some simple steps through every one of these chapters. And obviously, uh, the quiz would be a helper along the way. Um, I'd really encourage you to uh, check out Sarah, uh, go to the YouTube videos. Uh, we'll put all the links to there. Do you have a TED Talk out there as well, Sarah? Uh, I would no. presume you've, I need to get to that. <laughs> okay, that's next. There you go. Yeah, we'll have to put, we'll put that energy on getting you out to TED. Thanks so much for, for 
for being on Inside Personal Growth and taking the time to uh, impart your wisdom about your journey, your lessons along the way, and the opportunities people to have to maybe actually shortcome some of those mistakes that they could make. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. My pleasure. Mm-hmm.